turn to John, book of John, chapter 13, verse 33 is where we'll start start reading. All right, John 13, verse 33. This is the Lord Jesus speaking, speaking to the disciples. Little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews... Whether I go, you cannot come. So now I say unto you, a new commandment that I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also love one another. And by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one another. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? And Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. And Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, how can these things be so? Everything, in terms of Peter, that you just said to me, troubles my heart. Yet the Lord's words are, let not thy heart be troubled. Why does the Lord say this? Well, first, he's the Lord. They walked with him. They'd seen his power, and they'd known and believed that he was the Son of God. He's the Lord. Who else can say, let not thy heart be troubled, and it have any meaning? Secondly, he knows something that we don't. He knew something that Peter didn't and any of the other apostles didn't. Omniscience knows all things because he decreed them to be. So he can say to Peter, even though I've just told you all these things, let not your heart be troubled. Third, he has the power and ability to bring it to pass. So he can say, let not your part be troubled. You see, if I'm someone who is dying from an illness, an unknown illness, and that there's one doctor in the world who knows how to cure it, what good are my words to you if I say, don't worry, it'll be okay? Doesn't mean anything because I can't do anything for you. But... If you bring the doctor to you and he says, don't worry, everything will be okay, I know what to do. Those words are differently received by who's giving the words. So it's who is speaking we're looking at here when he says, let not thy heart be troubled. And fourthly, why does he say, let not your heart be troubled? Because he knows that it is troubled. And aren't you thankful that he knows? It's not something that goes on here and he has no knowledge of up there and all he lives in is holiness and truth and righteousness and knows nothing about the infirmities of our flesh. He knows that our hearts troubled and that's why he can say unto us, let not thy heart be troubled, I know. You see, I'm a sinner and I've sinned against God and I'm unable to stop sinning and it's because of my nature, my nature by birth. You see, you've never met my son. My son's named Wyatt. And my son has blue eyes. He didn't choose them. He didn't choose what color his eyes were. He was born with them. And you know another thing about him? He can never change them. Because he was born with blue eyes because his daddy had blue eyes. And so therefore, he has blue eyes. You see, I'm born with a sinful nature because... My father had a sinful nature, and his father and his father, all the way back to Adam, started there. He had a sinful nature, and you can never change it. You see, Adam's the only man that was given a choice, and when he was given it, he fell. And from then on, he doomed the entire human race. Adam, Adam conceived his children in sin, and therefore they are sinners the rest of their days, and that will never change. So, I'm born with a sinful nature. I can't change it because I'm born with it. There's no being sometimes sinful, 
sometimes not sinful. You're always sinful. You sometimes just might not see it. Secondly, if I'm born with a sinful nature, I can't please God because I can only sin, and God hates sin. So I can't bring anything before him that I can bring. So what hope is there for somebody like me? We can only conclude, and any hope that I have, it's got to come outside of me because all God can do with me in and of myself is condemn me and punish me. My choice, my influence, and my thoughts, they can't be a part of this. So it's got to come outside of me if I'm to have any hope. I'm going to ask you to turn to Isaiah chapter 48. Look at this passage of Scripture. Isaiah 48. We'll read the first 11 verses here. Hear this, O ye house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord. Sounds good. They swear by the name of the Lord. And they make mention of the God of Israel. That's got to count for something. But not in truth, not in righteousness. For they call themselves the holy city, and they stay themselves upon the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is his name. Everything about what the outward appearance would say might be okay, but it's not. God says, I've declared the former things, the things that were from before, from the beginning. And they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. Why? Because I knew that thou art an obstinate, and that thy neck is an iron sinew, and thy brow is brass. You're hard-headed, and you're a hard-hearted rebel. And I have even from the beginning declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it to thee. Let, unless you should say, my idol's done it, or my graven image and my molten image. They, they commanded them. They did this. No, the Lord said, I did that, because otherwise you would say your idols did it. Thou hast heard, see all this, and will not you declare it? Won't you at least give me the glory? I have showed thee new things from this time, even hidden things, that thou didst not know them. They are created now, right now, not from the beginning, even before the day when thou heardest them not. Because otherwise you would say, Behold, I knew it. The Lord's saying, I'm changing it now, and I'm making it new now, and you didn't know it, and I'm letting you know that you don't know it, or else you would have said you did. Yea, thou heardest not. Yea, thou knowest not. Yea, from that time thine ear was not opened. For I knew that thou wouldest deal treacherously, and wast called a transgressor from the womb. Why did he do it? For my name's sake. For my name's sake will I defer my anger, and for my praise will I refrain from thee, that I cut thee not off, because that's what you deserve. But for my name's sake I won't. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. Even for my own sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? I will not give my glory to another. So <laughs> you see what the Lord's saying here is if the Lord didn't do it this way, he said, I told you this from the beginning, or else you'd say that my idol did it. Or I told you this from the beginning, or else you say, oh, yeah, we knew that would happen. He's saying, I did this because I'm greater than you. You're sinful. You do treacherously my word. You pollute my name. But he also says, I've refined thee. So we are polluted, vile sinners. And God says, I've refined thee, but not for silver. He says, I've chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. So what's refining? I grew up in a steel town. I grew up in Ashland, Kentucky. AK Steel, Armco Steel was there, and they made steel um, from beginning to end there. So refining is when great heat is applied. You burn up all the impurities in, in, in the steel that you're trying to make or the element you're using. You burn it up. And so why is something refined? because it's impure. Otherwise, there would not be a need for refining. Impurity. He said, I've refined thee. Who's doing the refining? God's doing the refining. 
If it were just me and it were just my work that stood before God to be refined, I'd be all burned up, you see, because I'm all sin and I'm all unpure. And so if God had to refine me, I had to go into the furnace of his wrath, I'd be burned up and there'd be nothing left. So you see, in this process of refining, we're burning up the impurities so that we have something that's left, that has value, that, has, that we want. But if I look at just myself, I say, all of this would be burned up. This couldn't stand before the wrath and heat of God. He says, I've refined thee, but not for silver. Oh, no, this is worth much more than that, much more than silver, much more than gold could be worth. First Peter chapter 1, 7, 1 verse 7 says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and under the honor and under the glory of the appearing of Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is this refining has to do with your faith. This refining is much more precious than gold. And, I, and in the verse preceding that one in First Peter, it says, if needs be that you fall into this, needs be. That has something to do with what goes on in the scripture and the whole reason Christ came and was made, fe- made flesh. Needs be. He must have done these things. So these things need be. So it needs be that we be refined. And, we're, and it says that our uh, trial of our faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise, honor, and glory of the, at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You see, the praise, the honor, and the glory, that's what he put there. That's not what I bring. I don't bring any praise, honor, and glory other than being a trophy of his grace. So if what is refined is to the praise, honor, and glory of his grace, it's because he did it. It's because he did something for me. So in Isaiah 48, he says, I've chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. So you see, nobody enjoys affliction. No one would ever choose the route of affliction to, to accomplish anything. Nobody wants to go the hard way. You say, well, you know, here's the easy way or the hard way. I don't want to do the hard way. I don't like affliction. I don't like trial. I don't like to do things that I don't like. I like to go the easy route. But no, that's, that's not the way that any of us would choose. We'd never choose that route. But yet God does. But, but it, so in choosing the route of affliction, does he enjoy afflicting? Does he enjoy afflicting his people? No, not at all. It says in Lamentations 3, verse 33, He doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. It's not in his pleasure to do this. But he afflicts for a purpose, for the refining of your faith. It's easy to trust in God when all things are going well. I'm healthy, wealthy, wise. I've got everything I need. Things are going well. It's easy to trust in God. But what about when all those things are removed? What about when your health's removed? What about when maybe your business dries up or you lose your job and you don't have that coming in? Now you've got to worry about these things. You lose joy. Things that I once enjoyed, I can't enjoy anymore. I'm sick. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't enjoy it. And so what about even your sense of purpose? The Lord, Lord gives you a, a, a spirit of depression. We're sick in the mind. I, I'm, I'm depressed. I can't see joy in anything. Now things start, aren't starting to look and feel in our experience so well. What about when we have spiritual loss, where we don't feel like we can even worship, where God, I don't even feel like he hears me or I hear anything when I hear the preaching of the gospel. Now... Are these things able? We're able to still joy in these things. Yeah, it's 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 we're, we've lost something. Is it still just as easy to trust in God then? So, will you fall away when all these things come? Will we fall away? Well, no, that'll never happen. But if you'll turn over to Revelation chapter two and verse ten, we're we're going to be sought by all sides. For, for many things that we're going to lose, many afflictions we may go through. But in verse 10 of Revelation, he says, uh, Revelation 2, verse 10, he says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. 
So what he's saying here is, be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life, but you're going to suffer. But fear those things not that you're going to suffer. So he tells us we're going to be refined. He tells us in the furnace of affliction, that sounds awful. He tells us that we're going to be tempted, and he tells us about the trial of our faith in First Peter. So trials, temptations, and, and fire, you know, refer, being, being in a furnace. This sounds hard. This doesn't sound like the easy way to me. But yet, this is God's way. This is the way he accomplishes his purpose, where his thoughts and his ways are much higher than me, much higher than I could think or know or see. But yet, this is his way. And this is the title of my message, The Forge, the Fire, and the Foundry. And so those, the title and those are also my three points. So the forge, what's the forge? Well, the forge is the furnace. Forge is the great furnace that, can, that is able to contain where the heat is, where we put the elements in to be refined. So before you have pure steel, pure gold, pure silver, there first had to be a great amount of heat applied, a great flame applied in order to burn up all the impurities. Otherwise, it's still impure. So it's and with the things that are impure, they're no good. You could you could take is it I believe it's diamonds have diamonds and gold, the two most valuable things that are elements to us, are also the two most wasteful things in order to produce. Uh, I watched a show on TV where they had this great big machine that dug in the earth all this dirt to pull out microscopic bits of gold, like just these little teeny tiny things that weigh beyond what, I mean, just like a, a flake of skin is basically what I would, you know, uh, say it looked like. So, and then they make these gold bars. And it said it took a million to one, one part of gold to a million parts of dirt, garbage, stuff in order to produce that one gold bar. So a million tons of dirt for one gold bar. So what we're saying here is in order for this to be refined, we don't want the garbage stuff with it. We don't want the stuff that is to be burned up. We're refining, we're removing the thing we want, the gold. So before you have pure steel, pure gold, or pure silver, there had to be great heat applied. Burn out all the impurities. Otherwise, it's still impure. And that's no good. Why is it no good? It's not just that it doesn't look good. It's not strong. You see, if you have steel that's not been refined, it'll break. You apply any pressure to it, any stress to it, it'll break. It won't hold. So we have to heat it. We have to burn out all the impurities in order for it to be malleable so we can bend it. And so when we apply heat and pressure and stress to it, it doesn't break. So this is how the blacksmith, you know, you've seen the, you know, on a movie, we don't really have blacksmiths today so much that we see, I guess. But the blacksmith, you know, he's beating out a sword or beating out a tool. What he's doing is he's beating away all the stuff on the outside of that metal that he's heated up. He's shaping it, forming it into whatever the instrument of that purpose that he's decided might be. But if that metal that he's working with is impure, it'll break. And so whenever it's pounded and being formed into what its purpose, intended purpose was, it has to have been heated or else it would break. So before the fire, before this flame can be applied, because if, if I just light a fire and put a steel beam in it, it's not going to do any good. Why? Because it's not going to get hot enough. So I have to put it in a furnace, something to contain the heat, to concentrate it, to make it very go towards its intended purpose or else the heat dissipates in the air and it can't be focused on what the purpose is. So there had to be a furnace, there had to be a, there had to be a forge before the fire. And it didn't just come to be. We didn't just walk outside one day, oh, well, there's a furnace, there's a forge. No, that was built. It was built for an intended purpose for something down the line. So you see, this has to do with God's intents and purposes in eternity and how he brings things to pass. So God set things in order. This is what the forge is. The forge is saying this is God's intents and purposes built around this for the purpose of refining so it was purposed for, the, for refining. The forge is built to contain the heat of the fire. We said that to make it more intense. So God had a purpose in eternity as well. A chosen people unto himself before the foundation of the world. 
The world wasn't created, and then God looked down and said, okay, well, that one's going to believe, so I'll choose him. That's not the way it worked. God created, God, God elected a people, predestinated this people before the foundation for a purpose, for the foundation of the world, chosen in the person of Jesus Christ. Don't you know that's the only way that you can be chosen? If God had to look to you for anything, anything at all to choose you, I know he wouldn't choose me. I know enough about myself to be honest with myself and before God to know that he wouldn't choose me. So this was done before the foundation of the world, before I had the opportunity to screw it up. Election. This is what the Bible is built around. God's purposes. All the events to ever occur or that will ever occur in this earth have been purposed, have been predetermined, and are hedged around the complete salvation of all, every single one of God's people. Everything, everything that occurs. We might see things that we think are inconsequential, but yet we don't know the intended purpose. Why, did, why were there dinosaurs before we were? Well, so that we have oil to put in the cars and to heat our homes. Yet God had a purpose behind all that. There, all these things, these millions of years worth of you know, life that happened before us, all for God's purpose so that we're sustainable and we can do what we do today. So God has a purpose in everything, even though we may not see it at the time. There's no such thing as coincidence because all things are God's providence. You know, you, I've, you've been around people who, when things go their way, that kind of seemingly they beat the odds, so to speak. Well, that was providential. Well, that is providential. So was everything else, too, had you not gotten what you wanted. That was providential. So if I didn't know that everything was in God's providence, I would despair. I, w- I would, I mean, if you didn't know that God was in control of everything, sovereign in all he did, how much stuff would we have to worry about? We've got the economy falling apart. We've got every nation basically on the earth hating us, burning our flags. You've got, you know, the sun at some point going to emit some gamma radiation and knock out all of our um, electronics, and then we're going to be reduced to the Stone Age. All these things that we have to worry about, and I can't even keep myself healthy. So if I didn't know that all things were by God's providence, I would be despondent because I'd have no way to control or influence anything. I can do nothing, but he can. In Revelation 2.10, he says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Now, does he say that to everyone? Is everyone going to suffer for the trial of their faith? No. Only those whom God elected. This is clear from the scripture. So he says this to his brethren, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Not if you suffer. He's saying, but when you do, fear not. Because I'm going to take you through these things. How can he say that? Well, Uh, In Isaiah chapter 46, he says, and this is an important word, remember. Remember the former things of old, for I'm God and there's none else. I'm God and there's none like me. Remember, I declared the end from the beginning. Remember from ancient times the things that are not yet done. In Isaiah 48, that passage we read, he said, I even from the beginning declared it unto thee. So remember those things. God told you from the beginning what the end's going to be. And so before it came to pass, I showed it to you. So fear none. Fear none of those things which you shall suffer. So he's saying, look to the end. Look to the end. That's what we're looking to, the end of our salvation, not to the walk we're going through here. If we look down at our feet, we're we're not looking to Christ. And so when we're looking at our feet, that's when Peter sank in the waves. When he was looking to Christ and Christ was out on the water, he said, come unto me. Peter stepped out and he was walking on water. That doesn't make sense to us. That's beyond the laws of what we know that you know you can do with gravity in this world. But yet Lord has control over those. But when Peter started looking around and saying, oh, the wind's blowing really hard and the waves are getting really big and I'm walking on water. I'm not supposed to do that. And I start to sink because I'm not looking to Christ. Look to Christ. He's saying, fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Ought we not to listen to that? It didn't say you wouldn't suffer, but don't fear it. 
but my faith is weak. I can't. I, I, I'm suffering. I'm in pain. My, you know, I might lose my home, my family, all these things. You don't think God doesn't know that? He brought these things to pass. If you're saved by your faith, your weak faith, though it may be, your works, your righteousness, then you're doomed. You're going to be consumed in his holy fire. And he knows this, and that's why he has provided all things that we'll ever need in his son. But that doesn't mean that we won't go through the valley of the shadow of death. But remember, it's still a shadow of death. It's not death. Because he's conquered death, he's conquered hell, and he's risen. So that remember, it's the former things that I've declared to you from the beginning. I'm telling you how it's going to end. Remember that, not look to your daily, daily life that, that, that we go through. So when the Lord told Peter, let not your heart be troubled, it's because he knew it was. Imagine what he had just heard. And, and I tried to put myself in, in Peter's position here. The Lord's purpose in eternity was to build this forge, every, all the events leading up to these things. And so now we step into the fire. So the furnace to contain the fire, and now the fire's lit, and Peter's in it. The Lord was leaving them. He said, whether I go, you can't come. Imagine, we have moments in our experience of spiritual bliss, of joy, of rest, of peace, when we feel like we can worship, believe the gospel, and find all of everything we need in Christ. And there are times when we feel that, and there's times when we don't. And he's, imagine what it would be like to just spend, they spent days with the Lord. We have made, we're lucky if we get 30 seconds of, of feeling like we commune with God at all when we pray. And there's some days you wake up and you realize you've gone to bed that night, I haven't prayed at all today. I haven't even thought about the Lord. But yet they spent days with, this, with, with the Lord. And so imagine what, what that did for them in being in his presence. And now he's saying, I'm leaving you. And whether I go where I'm going, you can't come. And he says, I'm going to die on a cross. And all of you, you're going to forsake me. Imagine sitting there hearing that, being someone who would claim to be a follower of the Lord. And not only that, you're going to betray me from within. One of you sitting in here is going to betray me. Imagine sitting there and fearing, hearing that. And now he tells Peter... Not only that, you're going to deny me three times. He didn't, and they did not know who the betrayer was. Imagine how Peter felt. He had to believe, it's me. It's got to be me. Nobody else was told you're going to deny the Lord. He said, one of you is going to betray me. And it said they knew not who it was. And you know, he, told, he told quietly to John about who it was, but they didn't understand it when it happened. So Peter, in himself, I believe, believed that he probably, well, I, I'm going to forsake the Lord and I'm going to be the one to do it. Because as soon as he said, one of you shall betray me, they each said, Lord, is it I? Is it I? I tell you, they knew something about their own sinful nature. They knew that they were capable of it. Peter's told, you'll deny me, not once, three times. We, we might be... I took it out of my message, but I'm going to say it. it I, I was thinking about what is the most horrible thing I could think of that I could be told in front of someone I love that I would do to hurt them. What if I were with my wife and someone came up and said, you're going to have an affair from your wife? I would. It would hurt my soul. It would hurt her terribly. And... And maybe somehow we'd figure out a way to get through it. We, we, she'd forgive me. But what if he said, you're not going to do it once tonight, but three times? How much forgiveness is there for that? You'd say, that man, he has no forgiveness in him. You'd say, that man, he doesn't love his wife. Imagine how Peter felt when they said, you're going to deny your Lord that you even know his person three times. From the Lord himself telling him that. So... His heart is pricked at this time. And the Lord says, let not your heart be troubled. No one else was told by the Lord that they would deny him the way Peter did. 
And then he did deny the Lord. And he, had, he did deny the Lord, and he had to believe that I'm cut off. When it said, you know, he said that there's no mercy for me. There's no place of forgiveness. Turn back to Luke chapter 22, and we'll look at that. Verse 31, he says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death. And he meant it when he said it. He truly meant it when he said that. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny me that thou knowest me at all. Remember the things before they happen. And so if we look at just this passage we just read where he said, I declare things from before when they happen, 32, verse 32, he says, I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not and when thou art converted. He's saying, you're going to go through this but I've prayed for you, Peter. I've prayed for you that your faith's not going to fail. Satan, if I did not pray for you, would crush you. You have no power, no ability to stand before him, but I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. It might be, in terms of your experience, what do you say? You've denied your Lord. Is your faith real? We can't look at that. The Lord said, I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. It didn't matter that Peter couldn't see it, even though the Lord told him that. Because if it took the if it took us to understand what the Lord was saying for us to for his faith to be saved and saying that Peter, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren, we'd be lost because we don't listen, we don't hear, all we do is focus on the moment, and Peter was crushed at hearing this. And so this is the Lord declaring the end from the beginning. He's telling you, I'm going to pray for you, and you're going to be converted through this experience. Is there any glory left in you, Peter? <laughs> no, there's going to be no place for it. This is the refining that I'll do for thee in the furnace of affliction. I'm going to put you through this. The will of the creature can never thwart the purpose of the creator. It doesn't matter that we don't understand. The Lord's will is still accomplished. What would we know of salvation by grace alone apart from the experience of Paul? Paul is someone who bound, persecuted, and killed people who believe what we're preaching and listening to today. Now, we can think of a lot of bad things, maybe some people that have done in this room, but we've not done those things. And so when Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners... He meant it. He's saying, if I'm saved, there's only one way I'm saved because I know I persecuted the Lord's people and the Lord's person. And the Lord stopped him and put, put Paul through a very, very difficult life. But in putting Paul through that, it was the refining of Paul's faith. And what would we know of salvation by grace alone apart from that experience of Paul? Or Job and seeing himself as being, as, as being righteous when he really wasn't. The Lord had to humble him. We looked at this experience of Job and all that Job was put through. But yet only in the end did he see himself as vile before God. He wouldn't have seen those things apart from the Lord's, apart from these trials that he put these two men through. So the forge and the fire, the purposes and the execution of those things are used together. To apply just the right amount of pressure as God determines each of us needs. Because you might be sitting next to somebody on the bench and say, well, they're not going through a whole lot, but I am. Or I'm going through a whole lot, and why is nobody else going through this? It's because you need it. It's not because I would have chosen that way. I would have chosen the easiest way. But if that would have kept me from Christ, those things can't be. He won't let those things be. It's different for everyone. How utterly blind and deceived we are if we, do, if, we, if we look at somebody else and say, well, they're going through that trial because there must be sin in their life. That, I wonder what they did for God to do that. To, God must be teaching them something. These things go on in here. Yeah, they do. But we're deceived. That's the flesh speaking. 
And we may be in the midst of our own trial, not even knowing it. God's purpose in predestinating and elect people is nothing in the course of time if he doesn't eventually call them. And that's what this is. So it's putting, putting, in this case, Peter through the fire or you or me through the fire in order to eventually refine my faith. Can you see that? If God didn't do both of these things in predestinating you and calling you both, if if it left up to you to call yourself, would you be called? No. He had to do both of them. We'd fail and we'd be lost. Abraham trusted God. It said that he was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Abraham believed God. Now, that was before God had done any of these things, but God said, I'm going to do this for you before it happens, and Abraham believed him. That's faith. That's the only marker we can look and see in terms of our experience in this life of do we believe the gospel? Do we have faith? In time, did God not do what he said for Abraham? Oh, yes. Our Lord told Peter, let not your heart be troubled. Fire seems awfully hot right now, though. I'm in the midst of it. You're telling me you're leaving. You're going to die. I probably feel like the one that I'm going to portray you. And you're telling me I'm going to deny you. I might even be the betrayer. Let's look at Peter. Let's face it. He's escaped by, in terms of his experience by the skin of his teeth more than once. Who said let's build three temples to Elijah, to Moses, and to Christ? That was Peter. Nobody else said that. Well, how many blunders did he have? Who said, Lord, you'll never wash my feet? The Lord corrected him in that too. He had God himself respond to him when he talked about building three temples. And who sank in the waves because he wasn't looking to Christ? This was all Peter. He had to believe. This is it. Whatever I've thought of myself, of believing and following the Lord Jesus, I've, I've deceived myself. And so it's only when the element is heated hot enough do all the impurities burn out? So you see, some require more heat than others. This is what Peter required in order to burn this out of him. The impurities make the metal weak. The blacksmith only beats the metal, the intended purpose to which he's forming it, after it's been hot, or else it'll break. So we have to be put into the fire, and the furnace has to be there to contain it. Peter's faith was tried by fire. He said, Satan hath desired you. What did Satan want with Peter? To cause Peter's faith to be broken. What would be, what would be wrong with breaking Peter's, Peter's faith? Well, Satan does not know who is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Only, only God knows that. And Satan could see outwardly, though, Peter would claim to be one of those in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I'm going to do everything I can to make him fall away. I'm going to do everything I can to say, Christ, you said you died for this one. He fell away, so therefore you're not God. You couldn't do what you said. That's what Satan was doing. Satan's mission in this world is not to go drag people into bars and to do things that are you know, morally what we would say reprehensible. Satan's place of operation is in the building down the road. Satan, you know, they call themselves the church. It's to deceive men, deceive men to, from coming to Christ. So you see, all it takes would be one to fall, for just one to fall away of the elect to whom Christ said, this is one of mine whom I stand for as surety. But the Lord said, I've prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. Now, he allowed Satan to torment Peter. He was put into the furnace of affliction, but he was not able to break him utterly. See, we focus on the moment. We focus in the trial by fire that we're in, but we can't always see the end result. We, we see the fire around us, but we don't see where it's taken us. The waves and the wind were boisterous. Peter cried, Lord, save me. He's looking only to his feet, and he's sinking. May God grant unto me the faith to do as Job and say, In the midst of the fire, though he slay me, the Lord may kill me, but I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him to what his intended purpose is because I know what he's doing is best for me. I can't see it, and it's probably going to kill me what I'm going through, but I'm going to trust him what he's doing, though it might destroy me. Our God, and this is in the, in standing before the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar said, you're going to bow down to this golden image. What did they say? 
Our God is able to deliver us out of thine hands. And they believe that. But if not, I can't guarantee he will. He's able. I didn't say that he was going to in this situation. It may be best for me that he doesn't. But he's able. But be it known unto thee, O king, will not worship thy gods, nor bow to thy golden image. So you see, in the midst of the fire, it's believing and trusting God to do and to deliver and to accomplish his purpose. And and what that's what Christ was sent to do was to accomplish his Father's will, which to save all those whom he gave him. And so that's what we're looked to, not the fire around us, not sinking in the waves, not everything else. That despite the circumstances, give me faith to trust in God to do for me what I need and in me what I need according to his will and not mine. God used Peter's denial to strengthen his faith. You wouldn't think that Peter would have to be forced to deny as, as one of the apostles to deny the Lord, but yet he used that experience to strengthen his faith. He heated him white hot. It's as hot as it could be to consume all the impurities. And I'd much rather the endure the fire that's in this life than the fire that's in the life that's after this because that fire is forever. This fire is designed for a purpose to burn out these impurities, to make me pure. My life is in Christ, and he is my life. And I'm going to give you four things to remember about the fire. First is God's the one who sent it. And if God's the one who sent it, he also tells us in Revelation where he says it's temporary because he says this tribulation shall endure ten days. You wonder what that ten days is? That ten days is it's a fixed time period. It's not going to be forever. There is an end to it and a purpose. Thirdly, thing about the fire is it's given for the salvation of your soul. It's purpose. It's not just a, for a fire for no reason. Lightning strikes in the woods and there's a fire and my house gets burned down. There's purpose behind that. It's not just a random act. And the fourth thing, and one of the most important things that we sometimes lose sight of about the fire, you're never going to be given more than what you can endure. You may feel like it. You may say, how do I get through it? I don't know. But your impurities might not make it through it, and that's the intended purpose. It will burn out your impurities, but it won't burn up your soul and that which God, your soul and your faith utterly but it will require burning out those impurities. In Psalm 34, it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Lord, cause me to remember that. It doesn't say that we're going to have affliction or not. It says many. We're going to have a lot of affliction, but the Lord delivers them out of them all, of the righteous. So the forge is purposed by God in eternity. The fire is eternity executed for the salvation of all those whom Christ came and died for. What is the purpose of that fire? It causes men to flee to Christ. It says, I've got nothing else, Lord. I'm going to be consumed by this. Help me. I can't stand on my own. I don't want to stand on my own merit and my own will. Lord, help me. And the third thing, you have the forge, you have the fire. The third is the foundry. What's the foundry? Well, foundry is after that metal has been heated so hot it melts it's liquid all the impurities have been burned out of it and then now you have the pure metal but it's white hot it's liquid but it's poured into a mold to be exactly one like the other they're poured into this mold revelation or romans 8:29 says for whom he did foreknow for love he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. So you see, conformed is poured into a mold, and that's what a foundry is. Can you pour cold metal into a mold? No, you can't. That metal has to be heated. And even if you heated it up but didn't burn out all the impurities and poured it into the mold, it'd still be impure, and it would still break. So the metal has to be heated, all the impurities removed, and it's poured into a mold. This is what conformed to the image of his son is. This is being made just like Christ. You know what? I have no part in the matter, and I like it that way. He does all that for me. That is the end, is being made just like Christ, because then when we're made just like Christ, there's no diversity here. You see, we're all poured into the same mold. You see, we all may start out different, 
we all may be different in here. We like to think we're different. You know, I'm not like everybody else, or you might be not like everybody else and not like it, but we're all different the way we start out here, but that's the impurities. You see, that's got to be burned out. That's my, my personality, the bad, you know, the th- you know, you're around me long enough, I'm going to offend you, and I'm going to say things and do things that are offensive to you. That's got to be burned out of me. And so that's what this being poured into the mold is. All the impurities removed, poured into the mold, made just like Christ. That which is not just like Christ is burned out of us. Would you have any comfort if it was any other way? The only thing I want the Father to see when he looks at me, and when he looks, it's not just on the outside. I might, on the outside, might have a veil over top of me where I, don't, where I look one like the other, but he sees the inside. He sees inside. And if I'm rotten in on the inside but white on the outside, I'm still impure to him. So he can see on the inside. But I, I, I need to know that when the Father looks at me within and without, he sees holy unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. There's nothing here that I find fault in. And that he's just like my son in whom I, I have all, all glory in. This is, this is who the son is. And so I'm made just like him within, without perfection, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. Doesn't that give you rest? And doesn't that give you peace in knowing that all these things are done for you? And the, if it was done any other way where you had to have any part in it, even the smallest part, for all this to be done, if you know yourself, you know that you wouldn't do it. You'd fall, fall short in some manner. But the Lord has to use all these things to accomplish that. And with that in mind, I ask each heart in here to ask, Lord, make me like Christ. Conform me, pour me into his image. And I'm not talking about our walk in this world because I might try to, you know, that, that's what's, you know, preached in all these places across this nation. Be more like Christ. What would Jesus do? You know, these things that they say, that's not what that's about because you're trying to use your righteousness, the things that you're saying, look what I'm doing to be like Christ. No, this is spiritual. This is the new man in me that cannot sin. That's what's like Christ, not my walk, even though I shouldn't sin and it's wrong to sin, but my walk, that's what God looks at, is, the, is my righteousness. And my righteousness, the only righteousness there is, is Christ's righteousness, which he gives to each of his children. So what happens to the molten metal after it's poured into the mold? It cools. You see, there's no more need for the heat because all the impurities are burned out. There's no reason to heat it anymore. It's poured for its intended purpose into the mold. And that's why when we die... When the flesh is laid down, you don't hear and read about trials in heaven. In heaven, we hear about no more tears, no more sorrows, no more pain, no more sickness. There's no more impurities. There's no more sin because it's all been taken away. Christ took that away for me. The Lord says, let not your heart be troubled. Back in our text in John 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. Peter, I know you're in the fire. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. And then the Lord gives Peter two commands. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. And the way that's written, because when we read that, when I read that at first, it sounds like it's saying, you believe in God, don't you? It's like, take comfort in that. No, these are commands, a command. And when you look at the words the way they're originally written, it says, believe in God, believe in me also. So, two commands, believe in God and believe in in Christ also. And that's one and the same, because he is God. Believe in God who hath elected and who hath called you, who is sovereign, almighty, and controls all things, because he loved you whom he elected so much that he sent his Son. And believe in me, the Son, who is sent to the Father to gather together all of the lost sheep, and who hath lost none of them. But he hadn't died yet in terms of his experience in this life. How could he say, I've lost none? Because he's telling you what's going to happen in the end before it happens. He's telling you in the beginning what the end is before it happens. He said, I've lost none of them. That's why none of the elect can fall away. Christ said, I've lost none. It's impossible for God to lie. He says, remember, 
believe in me who bears the wounds before the Father. When he looks, when he looks at me in heaven, he's, all he has to do is look at his son who will bear the wounds in glory, his glorified wounds. They're not going to heal. They're not going to go away. He's going to have his glorified wounds because that's my justification that he died, that, that there was sin, that my sin was made, Christ's sin, and he died for it whose death is paid for, your sins, making them his own, and whose blood covers all spots, giving you Christ's righteousness, who hath the power to save you. Before Jesus Christ, all sacrifices were consumed because they were impure. They were all burned up. They were given, they were a temporary sacrifice. They could never satisfy because sin was still here. But after Jesus Christ, the sacrifice consumed the fire of God's wrath. It was more, it, it burned up all the sin, burned up all, all that was my sin. And Christ, it's not right that he lay dead. He did not suffer, see his holy one to see corruption. He raised him from the grave. It's not right because he's righteous. All the sin was burned, burned away, and then he was raised again from the grave. In John 14, verse 27, he says, Let not your heart be troubled again, neither let it be afraid. In Revelation 2, what we read, fear none of those things which you're going to suffer. The devil's going to cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. Satan wanted Peter too, but the Lord prayed for him and he couldn't get him. Not, not eternally. You shall have tribulation for 10 days. It's temporary. It's for, it's for a time frame for a set purpose. It might be short, it might be long, but it's still temporary in our life. We're told is just a vapor. This is just going to be be a blip. Said your life is but a handbreadth. How much is that? Just that much? It's not much compared to what's in this room. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. If you're faithful, this I can promise you. It wasn't by your faith. I'm saved by the faith and works of Christ. He said, Peter, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. So it's Christ's faith. We're given this example in Peter to see that if I'm saved, he did it all. Can everyone everywhere who's going through the fire take comfort in this? Well, Christ said, if you believe not that I am, you'll die in your sins. You might just be in the fire that you've kindled at your own feet. Just because you're in a fire doesn't mean it's, the, it's God's holy fire to burn out your impurities. I might just be in a fire of my own doing. We are commanded to believe on Christ is Lord and is the only way that a vile, hell-deserving sinner, such as I am and you are, can be saved. He's the only way. And if you ask with your whole heart, yearning for this, looking for nothing else to save you, he's given the promise that you won't be cast away. We may just be put into the forge. We may just be put inside the furnace and burned with God. But if I'm burned with God's holy fire... That's a different kind of fire than the one I've lit and just to burn myself. This is God's holy fire to burn away all impurities, all sin. And this won't be over until our flesh is finally put down. We may go through the trial that's our life, but once the flesh is put down, all the impurities gone. But that which remaineth is poured into his foundry. That white hot metal, all the impurities gone, were poured, conformed to the image of Christ. So may the Lord bless his word in the forge, the fire, and the foundry.